0: So, I've been waiting for weeks to give you this homework assignment and I think that in this season of spiritual warfare, of strong spiritual warfare, and of need for God to simply uh, pour out his spirit among us, I think it's clear that now is the time and this is the week to give this assignment. Please get out your electronic or uh, handwritten planner or pen or paper. Our homework, and I'll be doing this with you all week, is to start your morning by reading Psalm 51. Please read it to your children if at all possible. It starts out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Every evening, Please read Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, it begins. And it ends with search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there, one translation says, see if there is anything in me that offends you. And lead me in the way. Please start every morning reading Psalm 51. And every evening, read Psalm 139. And that's a good summary of our message today in Romans chapter 4. But Romans chapter 4, our message is entitled, God Loves to Justify Sinners. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Romans 4 starts, of course, at the beginning of Romans. But we'll look at Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, after giving this... uh, this argument that all Gentiles are really, really sinners. And then chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, which in, in that time tended to be the Jewish Christians often. And then he goes into Jewish Christians are just as much sinners as Gentile Christians who are saints, who sin, and all of us alike are in need of salvation. Romans 3.1. Then what advantage has the Jew? And here he says this most courteous thing. Um, what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? And he says, much in every way. To begin with, and he lists only one reason, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So that means the The Jewish people were entrusted with the Ten Commandments, God's revelation of himself in his tabernacle, coming to live in their midst, and let his spirit work life into the whole assembly of the Israelites and all the Gentiles and the mixed multitude that were grafted in already from uh, from the time of Abraham, right? And then chapter 3, verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, and, uh, and he goes on. We did chapter three last week. We kind of breezed through it, but hopefully um, over the years you memorize much. I mean, you, j- you just have to memorize many verses in Romans to live as a Christian. You know, everybody knows the Romans road, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, um, but there's so much more there in Romans 3. Just reread it and reread it and reread it. You know, read it before you go to sleep. A quick reading, even if it's not a very thoughtful reading, is still a worthwhile reading. Just read it. That's your homework for every other week, and I kept meaning to say every week of the Romans messages, read Romans, or at least this chapter that will be on next in Romans, but I keep forgetting to say it, but that's kind of a given. Because the sermons uh, set you up for success in your spiritual disciplines and in your household worship and that bears fruit when we come to worship together. So, Romans 3:23 through 25, if we could get that on the board. The board being an old-fashioned term for the electronically projected screen. Romans 3:23 Here is the heart of the gospel, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift, as a gift. And every good gift is good. So be thinking, this this is a good gift. Feel that. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we have by grace, we have by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. That's kind of like saying, this is to show how good God is. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. And he goes on. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if Paul can successfully argue in the next chapter, chapter 4, that what he just said in those several verses is true, and and he can, and this has great implications for us in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. If Paul can prove what he said by kind of going for the throat of the Judaizing heresy, and we're gonna talk again how the Judaizing heresy of the first century has a lot of overlap with our fleshly thinking and our kind of modern Christian tendencies of how we think about our salvation and our relationships with one another. We'll get there. If Paul can go right for the throat and and get, um, and get at how the Jewish Christians had this te- strong temptation to think, but we have Abraham as our father. When all is said and done, salvation is Our justification is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. But when the dust settles, if that doesn't go well, we have Abraham as our father, and we're circumcised, right? That's that's where these people are coming from, and to some extent, we're coming from that place too, and we want to combat that heresy today. So Paul's goes right for this idea that we are children of Abraham. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? That sounds like chapter 3, right? What advantage has the Jew? What then? Are we Jews any better off? And he worked on that. Now he's tackling this, this deeply held, it's like on the conviction level. Here's how it worked. Um, God chose Noah, right? And from Noah's sons, Shem. And from Shem's descendants, Abraham was plucked out, okay? So if you're, reading, if you're reading Genesis, you see like these are the generations of this guy, these are the generations, this is the family line, this is the, the family history of this guy and this family. Noah from his sons, uh, Shem from Shem's descendants, Abraham gets plucked out, and Abraham is uh, maybe reg- is generally regarded as the first Hebrew. Um, Abra from Abraham came the Hebrew people, the Jews, right? So you have these people who are Jewish, Christians, and for centuries, for, who are who are Jewish people of God, hopefully people of God, although not all were godly, right? Not all feared God, they just kind of lived in Israel and were Jewish ethnically. They were Hebrew ethnically. They were descended from Abraham and they, they inherited this tradition of strong reliance on their heritage and of the way they identified themselves as my, my right standing before God, my righteousness. Who I am is basically good because I grew up in Israel And I'm a Jew, and we have Abraham as our great-great-great-great-grandfather, right? That's the heresy. The Jews took their identity from being children of Abraham. The Jews made a mistake in thinking that Abraham was their father, with a capital F. That is, the one who made Jews, Jews. If you've ever read Exodus, that's like super clear. And they were always reading Exodus and Genesis. And Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the prophets and the Psalms. And yet, they really badly made this mistake multi generationally, and so do we. Because, right, it's an easy mistake to make because if we're looking at it ethnically and just ethnically, Abraham was the first Hebrew but righteousness is not derived by circumcision or bloodline, but by faith. So in Romans four, Paul deconstructs this idea that the Jews are Jews through bloodline or by keeping the law, the commandments of God. We kind of hit that hard in uh, Romans two and three, like nobody really keeps the law and nobody's even trying very hard. Nobody wants to try very hard. And Paul could say that because out of all the people, out of all the Jews, he was like this Jew of Jews and he wanted it so bad. And look at his righteousness. He's out there murdering people and fighting against God. And that is the inevitable result of trusting in your own righteousness. You always get into some pretty uh, pretty evil wickedness. Self-righteousness takes you down. Romans redefines the boundaries of inclusion and exclusion in the people of God. Let's read on. (laughs) What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? You have to know something about how the Jews thought about Abraham. They thought he was a righteous man, and he kind of measured up and was chosen and selected. It's a little bit of an idolatrous uh, idea of Abraham, because, they, because Abraham was... It says of Noah, Noah was a blameless man in his generation. Um, and Abraham is regarded as righteous, but the Jewish people are thinking that Abraham deserve, Abraham was better than the other people's and so are they. And that's at the heart of the heresy and it's just a fleshly tendency that everyone has. And we have that tendency to think that way too. So Paul says, if Abraham was justified by works, by doing all the right things that God commanded, by deserving God's favor, he has something to boast about but not before God. We have already said that according to this gospel, God judges the secrets of men's hearts. My secret thoughts always, when they're coming out of my my own flesh, always stand in perpendicular contradiction to the holy law of God, and that is the gospel in Romans. He has something to boast about if he was justified by works, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Have you ever gone to work and you go after your two weeks or whatever and your boss shakes your hand with one hand like you're graduating and with the other hand, hands you an envelope with your paycheck in it and says, this is a gift from me to you. It's free, no strings attached, it's just because I love you and I'm I'm a really good boss. And with some kind of, just imagine that bizarre scenario and you having this this boss who wants you to think that, you know, that like, you're, you're getting money because they like you. No, you're getting money because you went to work. Because you went to work at 9 and you worked until 5, you bore the heat of the day or whatever, you did your job, and you earned it. She, he owes it to you. When you work, you earned it, and it's not a gift. That's like bizarre manipulation. Right? So, fortunately, we don't, hopefully, have bosses like that. Um, Although there are bad bosses, and that's the gift of God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. That's silly, but as his due. And to the one who does not work... who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, praise God. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, not just without good works, but against, over against uh, his or her dead evil works. God counts righteousness apart from works. So Paul's just appealed to Abraham, who they're all looking at as like the source of their identity, in a sense, their, their ultimate righteousness if the grace thing doesn't work out, maybe. Uh, that's their temptation. And now he's going to, uh, to David. So he's proving from the scripture that that in which or that in whom they trusted for deserving God's favor in contrast to the Gentiles across the pew, um, that, that was wrong, according to the scriptures. And this is unsettling, because our flesh is always trying to take us to, well, if the grace thing doesn't work out, um, I'm... I I think I'm actually doing all right. Or or we're hyper self-condemning and we don't receive, we miss the grace. Or we start in grace and then when somebody sins really bad, we condemn them. And what we're doing in our heart is this little spiritual gymnastic where we're justifying ourselves by comparison. And we never recognize it when we're doing it. Only God can open our eyes to see this. And that, that is our prayer, that he opens our eyes to see us whenever we do this. Because like the Jews in the first century, uh, we do this too. And God can save us from this mindset every day. And we need it. So now appealing to David, quoting Psalm 32, that precious psalm, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Okay. This doesn't say his sins are downplayed. This doesn't say his sins are bad. Well, they're really bad, and they're kind of always hanging over his head, and he's got to really toe the line now. Um, what does the scripture say? It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove your transgressions. So far has he removed his transgressions from us. That's an infinite distance. God in his infinity and his omniscience, he knows all things and mysteriously there really is a little bit of mystery to that. I can't, this, I can't quite explain this theology theologically uh, because he doesn't forget anything and he has all our deeds recorded in a book and he's judging us by our secret thoughts and yet he says, I forget your sins. There's supposed to be a little bit of mystery in that statement. There's supposed to be a little bit of wonder retained when we read that because it's almost like there's a logical contradiction, but there is not. It is a paradox, not a contradiction. And this is the gospel. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What we want is for that to be us and for us to think about each other that way. That's a daily process. That's the gospel process. That's what the gospel of Romans is. That's what he's getting at. That's what he's hammering again and again. I've Wasted years of my life with the walls of my pride too high and my me being on this little throne of judgment over my life and being super self-condemning and super critical of others and not receiving the grace of God and I through a lot of sinning and a lot of weekly daily multiple times a day going through this gospel process have found again and again the joy of the Lord. And that's what we need more of in our congregation. Because we may have lost something of the joy of the Lord. And we kind of do that all the time. And we always need it again. And that's what Psalm 51 is about. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So do the homework. Everyone. Um, Is this blessing, then because David in the Psalm 32 says, blessed are those, blessed is the man, which might be translated, oh how happy, or oh how filled with the joy of the Lord is the one whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Why is Paul going after these Jews again and again, again and again and again? It's because they're like everybody else, and that's his point, and you are too, and I am too. Every one of us has this fleshly tendency, and it rises up in us probably at least every day. One of my favorite quotes is, I need to renew my mind in the scriptures at least every day, or the gravity of my depravity will bring me down. Bill Brown. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So they're thinking, I'm a child of Abraham. I have Abraham as my father. I'm a Jew. Jews are God's people. We're cool. AKA, I grew up in church. How many testimonies have you heard that started out, um, you know, Hi, my name is so-and-so. I grew up in a Christian family and yada, yada, yada. And I answered the altar call the danger for we who grew up in Christian families and who went up for an altar call, don't take this as heresy, it's not, is as great as those Jews who in their mind always had this thought rising up, I'm circumcised, I'm, you know, we have Abraham as our father. Because they might have started out in grace, but they had to continue in grace. And we might have started out good, but there's something about walking with God that we can fall time and time again, and He can lift us up again. But there's something about finishing the race that God is calling us to. How then, verse 10, was the righteousness of Abraham, because they're thinking Abraham was righteous, so am I, right? I grew up in church. How then? was that righteousness counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? I can just about guarantee you, none of them in this congregation reading this had ever thought that thought. But they knew the scriptures, and they'd be thinking that through as they read this verse, or had this read aloud in their service. Uh, I guess he was circumcised after that verse that says he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness oh it's kind of like those moments we've all had them where we're really hard on somebody else it's usually your parents your kids or your spouse that's how it is for me and then all of a sudden i'm like oh i do the same things isn't that what it says in romans you do the very same things we need to have that realization which is from the holy spirit again and again because it brings us back to Psalm 32, or Romans four, seven and eight. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins sins are covered. Blessed, oh how happy, the joy of the Lord is for the one against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That's the gospel process we need to go through every day. And God has ordained that we should struggle with sin and he always gives us a way out, but do we always take it? Of course not. And there's grace for that. Amen? So here are the Jews, having this letter read to them. They're Jewish Christians and Gentiles Christians in the same congregation, and they're thinking through, wait a second, yeah, I guess the righteousness was counted to him before he was circumcised. Uh Uh-oh, that kind of takes out the legs on which I've been standing. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of doing all the right things and measuring up. No, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law, that is those who don't make mistakes. What? But we always think other people's mistakes are worse. It's part of the human condition. For if it is the adherence of the law, those who don't make mistakes, who are the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So if you are one who, for whom other people's mistakes are worse than yours, you're in danger of not being a Christian and not being saved and not going to heaven. Your faith is null if, if you really take that to the extreme. Don't. And there's no need. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there's no transgression. If there's no line to cross, I didn't cross the line, you know, but the law brings wrath and And the law brings wrath to those who are under the law, and that's his point. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace, we're justified by grace, it's a gift, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we're justified. It depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope so that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. You know, like, you can't even count them all. He did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, how old was his wife at this time? She's in her 90s. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God that he would have a child and that his descendant would be a blessing to the whole world and that his descendants would fill the world. That's Jews, right? That's true Jews. That's all those who are children of faith, whether they're sons and daughters of Abraham ethnically or not. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. And he made some mistakes but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Well, I think that needs some explanation because that doesn't immediately make sense to me. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he is fully convinced that God is able to sanctified, to cleanse, to make perfect, to build for himself a holy people and to finish that which he started, no matter how old or how bad things looked or no matter, no matter what had gone wrong. And that's why, what was, that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness? It's almost like that doesn't make sense. Let me explain. He wasn't a man filled with faith and therefore He had good enough faith. He had enough faith, and therefore he was righteous. Don't read it that way. That's heresy, okay? He knew who God was, and he trusted him. And that was counted to him as righteousness. That's a better definition of faith, okay? And we need more of that and less of, I've got this or I can get through this, or I can overcome, and in him, we overcome, but. Every generation of Christians is in danger of this Judaizing heresy. Jesus said to some to whom he was preaching, do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. God can make children of Abraham out of these rocks. kind of sort of talking about Gentiles there, don't you think? Maybe like like dead Gentiles, they've got no law. They didn't grow up in church. They're covered in tattoos and they smoke and this and that and yada, yada, yada. And they've made all kinds of mistakes. List them. They're pretty bad. You know, when they get up and tell your testimony after you go and you say, I grew up in a Christian home and they go and they say, I stole it," I did and I drank. And I, you know, you're like, ooh, that's a good testimony. I wish I had a testimony like that. Well, you do. And that's the message of Romans. and you didn't earn it, and you can't earn it, and you'll never earn it, and you don't have to earn it. And no matter how low you sink, he is still the father of us all, and God is able to save sinners. The message of, I'm not even gonna finish the verses, you have to finish them, read them. The message of the heart of this passage is not this theological idea that that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That can become for us dead theology, if it's just up here and it never happens. This isn't theological, this is relational. The message of Romans is that, especially chapter four here, where Paul's just sealing the deal, he's like hammering, driving in the nail. He's like, the message of Romans is that, God loves sinners, and you're a sinner, and the person sitting next to you is a sinner, and they're not more of a sinner than you, and you're not more of a sinner than them. And God justifies sinners because He likes to, because He's good. God keeps His promises. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And if any man is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The new is come. Our problem is that we are slow to confess our own sins, and we prefer to confess other people's sins. Or sometimes we're so overwhelmed by our own sins that we lose hope in Christ. Okay? We have three fleshly tendencies the Judaizers did we do today. We are slow to confess our sins. We prefer to confess other people's sins. amen Amen. and finally sometimes we're so overwhelmed by our own sins that we lose hope in Christ the solution is found in Psalm 51 and in Psalm 139 and in Paul's quotation in Romans 4 of Psalm 32 in those verses the real gospel Romans is a book about hope in Christ who justifies sinners it's a free gift with no strings attached, and when he does it, he doesn't just make it as if we've never sinned. Since we're in Romans, we have to do a theological definition here of the word justification. Have you been in a class where you heard justification is where God makes it just as if we never sinned? I don't like it. i got one person shaking their head out there because they don't like it either or because they've never heard that. Well, I've heard that a billion times. You hear that in Bible college. But it's kind of like off. And here's a better definition of justification. God doesn't just make it as if we've never sinned, nor does he make it look or seem like we've never sinned. We know the word picture maybe of here's God and here's us and we've got sin and kind of sin is like written all over our faces, smeared on our faces, but Jesus is standing between us and the Father and when God looks at us, he's looking through Jesus and he sees Christ, that's pretty good it's, there's more. He doesn't just make it look or seem like we've never sinned, nor does he forget in a, in a totalizing sense that we have or pretend that we have not sinned. What do the scriptures say? He removes our sin. As far as the east is from the west, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This passage has implications for how we think about our justification, how we relate to God, and has a lot of implications for how we relate to one another, as I think we brought out sufficiently. I like myself more than I like you because I'm a better person than you. Our hearts think that. I deserve more respect than you because I'm a better person than you. I do a better job at whatever than you, so I am better. This wasn't just a problem between first century Jews and Gentiles because it's a heart problem. Everyone tends to think this way. The book of Romans is the gospel for Christians who struggle with sin, for those who struggle with real, serious sin, and who need more grace and mercy every day. The book of Romans is the gospel for those who struggle with pride, especially that sneaky kind of pride that targets other people as the real sinners and somehow excuses me, because I look pretty good in comparison, if I'm the standard, but God's law is the standard. Oops. Because I'm my own judge, and who are you to judge me, and you don't understand me, and I make my own laws by which I judge myself. You see, sometimes we try to be a little bit too much like God. It's God's law by which I am judged. And I, like everyone else, am found guilty. And it's simply by faith in God, who sent his son into the world to save sinners, that I am justified. And anyone can be justified in this way. No one is justified by any other way. Oh, the mercy and the wisdom of God. Please come forward to receive the bread and the wine of our communion meal.